In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. My dear sons and daughters, as we draw close to the close of the liturgical year, we enter into the month of November. We are less than three weeks away from the feast day of our great patroness, St. Cecilia. I would like to take these two Sundays, this one and next, to talk about our patroness, that we might be inspired by her life and understand how to live the gospel more fully by her example. For St. Paul gives us that righteous and powerful exhortation that the name of the Lord Jesus Christ be glorified in you and you in him. For when that happens, the Christ again can call out to a Zacchaeus to come down and be saved from what was lost. Now, St. Cecilia was martyred in the year 230 AD. When precisely she met her future husband, St. Valerian, is not exactly known, but for reference point, it's around the year 230 AD, there in the city of Rome. Now, Rome is at the heights of its imperial power. It is just about as large in its borders as it will become, dominates the known world economically and militarily and so on and so forth. And so the city of Rome itself is ever expanding. Remember, around the year 55 AD is the fire of Nero and all the old city of Rome was burnt to the ground. When that happened, many of the wealthy Romans moved to the neighborhood of what is called Trastevere, this new part across the Tiber River. Obviously, the fire didn't cross the river, and so things were stable there. What is interesting is Trastevere was also the original Jewish district of the city of Rome and where the apostle St. Peter went when he came to the city of Rome to preach the gospel of Christ to the Jews. That is why the oldest church in the city of Rome is there, Santa Maria in Trastevere. So St. Cecilia's family is there in that place. Now the city had been completely rebuilt at the heights of its glory. She comes from an aristocratic family, one of the patrician families in Rome. Her parents are pagans. We're not sure if her parents just didn't have any other children or had children that didn't survive into maturity, which again was much more common in those days. She's the only, at least surviving child of her family. So everything is going to go to her. And she's doing what aristocratic girls in Rome do. She would get up in the morning and have her breakfast and walk across the river up to the Aventine Hill where they had schools for the aristocratic girls of Rome and then come back and have the afternoons free. And all of her contemporaries at that time would have had three basic ambitions, right? Stay beautiful, become incredibly smart, and remain viciously ambitious, right? All three things which I have found come somewhat naturally to ladies, so they can do that, all right? And so that was the, that's the life of a young Roman aristocratic girl. Cecilia meets Jesus Christ, is converted, is baptized, learns to pray. Now remember, this is at the heights of 
the renewed persecutions by the Emperor Diocletian. Because all over the city of Rome, this strange thing is happening, that there are all of these women and girls who are becoming celibates. And people are not sure what's going on. The Romans had what they called the Vestal Virgins. All the nice girls would go into the temple of the pagan goddess Vesta and remain virgins until they were about 14, 15 years old. And then you would come out and you would have these sort of coming out parties, cotillions or whatever you want to call it, sweet 16s, only they're more like at 14 or 15. And these were rather grim affairs because you had all the aristocratic sons who were coming back from their time with the legions. So they were probably 18, 19, maybe 20 years old. They had spent their time on campaigns with the legions, doing what Romans do best, conquering places. And then you would come back into the city to resume your public life, which entailed finding a nice girl. Now, of course, these were very difficult kinds of things because these girls would basically be, you know, paraded about, and then each one would go to a particular room, and the, the gentleman would make their selections, all right? It's, it's uh, spin the bottle at a much nastier level. We'll just put it like that, right? This was just normative cultural life in aristocratic pagan Rome. Well, you started to have this phenomenon, and here is St. Cecilia, coming from one of the most prominent families, refuses to be part of the parade, refuses to dress in all the whatnotery, but that she won't be a complete one-off, says she will sing at this feast. She starts to sing this haunting tune that no one really knows except for a few because she's chanting one of the Psalms of David like she learned when she would go to Mass and in Catechism. This unique gentleman, Valerian, son of one of the prefects of Rome, one of the highest offices that can be held in the city, recently back from the campaigns, notices her. She's dressed rather plainly. She's singing this odd thing, but it attracts him. A sort of love at first hearing, if not at first sight. And thus begins this powerful and simple testimony. Cecilia, now again, in those times, the aristocratic Romans, you couldn't go on unchaperoned dates. That's how the aristocrats had it. Not the worst idea in the world, but we'll talk about that later. Right? And so you would have the thing where the, the young boys would sort of sneak off to try to find the girls alone. Today we call that stalking, but it was a different age entirely. All right? So he would notice all of a sudden these strange things. After school, she wouldn't go to the bathhouses. She and a couple other girls would go into these various districts. They'd see them gathering with families that were odd because you'd have aristocratic families and plebeian or non-aristocratic families getting together. And the little kids would go over and Cecilia would teach the children, this is catechism, right? It's Wednesday faith formation, however you want to spin it. He goes to her house on a Sunday morning and she's gone. Her parents, I know she goes off with her friends on Sunday morning because she's sneaking off to go to Mass. You can't go to Mass in public, you know, you'll be arrested and executed. It's this life that attracts him. When he first goes to her parents and asks to see her, she says, no, just puts him off. 
but he is persistent, right? Some of you ladies in here might know that, all right? Oh, how'd you meet your husband? Well, he wouldn't leave me alone, all right? So he wore me down, and it's the best choice I ever made. And that sort of happens mostly with her parents, right? Parents of a younger, wow, look at this guy. He's young and good-looking and has money and a job. Yes, you can totally say my daughter, absolutely. She costs a fortune. Take her. It's great. She says to him after they spend a day together where she sings and he reads her his bad poetry, right? What could be more romantic than that than some hulking guy who spent two and a half years in Germania waging conquering wars against pagan Germanic tribes but doesn't lose the sense of poetry and art in simplicity? For the Son of Man came to seek and save that which was lost. And Cecilia is trying to glorify the name of Jesus Christ in her own self. And that attracts Notice Jesus doesn't say, hey, Zacchaeus and Joachim and so on, let's all get together. No, he says, one, Zacchaeus, you, I go to your house. And in Cecilia, he said to Valerian, you, I come to your house. You hear my voice. You respond. Cecilia eventually rents, relents to him, but with one caveat. He came in to propose to her after he got her parents' permission. He goes to her room. That was the first time a Roman could get into an aristocratic girl's room is once he had permission to marry her. Also, again, moms and dads, not the worst idea in the world. And there he catches her kneeling down. She hasn't time, had time to cover up the icon of Jesus Christ she has in her room because it's a secret. And she's praying. And he comes in and accuses her of being a Christian. She thinks that he's going to turn her in. And he says, I will not cage you for this, for I see the beauty of your heart. I wish only to share it. And she says that she will marry him according to the Roman fashion, but he will never be allowed to touch her. And he goes for it. Now again, Again, just, I'm just trying to put that in your mind. This is a guy, again, he's waged war, he has money, he gets whatever he wants. He's been to the Roman halls, right? The Roman halls, they didn't just go there to play cards, all right? Don't think about it too much. But that's where the aristocrats went to have themselves a time. He's done all that. He's been in all of that. Blood, sweat, tears, ladies, blah blah But this beauty and simplicity and purity, and he says, yes, that he is, yes, he'll do that. Now, we have to stop here because the sermon's already much longer than it should be. But that is a beginning heart. We'll get to the, right, there is glory and blood to come in their martyrdoms. But it starts in that simple, unyielding fashion. I strive to glorify Christ. I will do it with my own skills and my own talents, whatever they are, many and various, but I will not relent and will not cave, not one iota. And that strength and that glory calls to this soul and inspires us many ages beyond to glorify the name of Jesus in our lives and our lives be glorified in him and through that with simple and powerful ways the Lord will seek and save what is lost in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.